0: The psalm this morning is from Psalm 107. I'm gonna read verses one through nine and 43. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. Heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And the second scripture reading this morning is from Ezra 3:10 through 13. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed, prescribed by David, King of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw found the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the, the sounds of the The sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh uh-oh, let's make sure my transcript is there, because otherwise we'll be reading off some paper. But, you know, that's okay, too. You think you have everything set up, and uh... ah, yes, there we are. Good morning. Good morning. My name's Jess. I'm the Minister for Community Life here at WCF, if we haven't met before. Um, Those of you online want to welcome you here, too. And thanks for being with us and worshiping with us this morning, and Kendrick, thank you so much for reading the Word and bringing us into this time. And thank you, music team, for leading us so beautifully um, with those reminders of God's faithfulness and goodness. It is so good that we're gathered here today. It's always good when we can gather together. And I'm really glad to be able to speak with you for a little bit. Um, And I hope that the Spirit will speak. So... I've known for a while that I was going to be preaching on this day. Um, We planned things, you know, in advance, and uh, Andrew was going to be gone, and so, um, yeah, chose this week, read the psalm, thought, yeah, soothing psalms for the soul. Psalm 107, sounds good. Um, Really positive, upbeat, um, praising God for what God has done, and so, yeah, had it in the back of my mind for a little while, and of course, didn't start planning the sermon until a couple weeks ago, give or take. Um, but yeah, I knew this for a while, but I, I couldn't have known up until right before, right before this week, what it would actually feel like to try to prepare and to try to determine what kind of message, what kind of emotion, um, where, where the Spirit was leading. And I couldn't have known up until this point that um, I wouldn't know how to preach when I got here. And I couldn't have known that, I couldn't have known that I wouldn't know how to preach, but also that I wouldn't know how to preach on this specific psalm and what it calls us to. Um, and so I was like, "You know, the psalm is great. Psalm 107 verses one through3 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Remember, remember all the things that God has done for you and how he gathered you. And this is, of course, talking about God's people, Israel, talking about God's people being brought back from exile. Um, But to be completely honest, I... Wasn't sure how I was going to speak to this psalm that carries such notes of triumphant rejoicing and celebration. Um, God rescued and delivered the Israelites. That's true. And I'm like, pro, pro that, pro worship, you know? Uh, But in recent days, I haven't been and I'm still not fully in a place where I feel like I am able to embrace the call of this psalm to meditate and to reflect on the goodness of the Lord, to ponder all that God has done. I've been in those places before. It's it's a good time to be in those places, but that's not where I've been. I knew even in my grief and a whirlwind of emotions, I knew I still wanted to preach. It's something I've been looking forward to, but I wondered if it was possible for me to still live up to the call of this psalm. Of course, we've talked about The theme of this series and how not all psalms are soothing. Of course, psalms give us permission to be honest and authentic with God, but this psalm, this psalm calls for something different, it seems. So maybe you feel the same way. Um, When you heard that call that Kendrick read this morning, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. How did your mind and body And spirit react. Maybe you've entered into worship with a posture of gratitude this morning and you resonate with this passage a lot and praise God for that, Um, but maybe you or maybe you wish that you did. Throughout this series our other speakers have, you know, like I mentioned, um, covered the breadth of the Psalms and the range of the human experience that they speak to which has given us a lot of comfort. It's given us permission to lament, I think, and for me has reminded me and given me a sigh of relief um, and permission to cry out to God in full transparency and authenticity. But what do we do when we are presented with a passage or a worship service or a season that calls for rejoicing, calls for worshipful reflection, and we ourselves not able to do it, (laughs) what do we do? What do we do when the psalm doesn't soothe us? What do we do when the truths that are held within it seem to ring hollow? Or they fall flat in the face of what we have seen and what we see in front of us, and maybe the trauma that we've experienced? So the Judeans who survived Babylon, um, they had endured some of the most traumatic events in human history. The people that you know we meet in the passage in Ezra 3 that Kendrick read for us, and, and some of the people that would have been singing a Psalm similar to 107, they are, they are part of the first remnant of God's people to return from captivity. So when some of the oldest folks in that crowd were young adults or maybe even young children, they witnessed scenes of destruction and personal harm that most of us only shudder to imagine. The scholar Ellen Davis puts it this way. The Babylonian exile was Israel's, hey-o, I need to know what I'm reading here, greatest trauma during the biblical period. And it left scars, painful memories, and hard-learned lessons all over the Bible in the form that we now have it. So that's just something, you know, when you're reading Scripture in a lot of different places, ask yourself, where does the exile come in here? It can be really interesting to listen to that. But it was more sorry. In Ezra 3 we get a picture of what these early scars looked like. So the Judeans had finally made their way, they were starting the second temple, and the foundation was ready to be laid. There was great expectation for God to fulfill the promises that were made in the past, to bring the people to a new temple where they would meet with God. It was supposed to be a Psalm 107 moment. It was expected that God's presence, or hoped for that God's presence would come down in this fiery storm, just like it did before at Solomon's temple. It was supposed to be a time of celebration, and it was. It was. Let's read the first couple of verses again. From Ezra 3, verses 10 and 11. Sorry, this thing is funky. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with symbols, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. But it was a little bit more complicated than that. Um, it was a time of celebration, and people were really excited about what was coming. If we look back in the passage, we see all these people in the crowd did respond in triumphant worship. A lot of the younger folks, um, potentially, but even some of the elders um, who had been hearing about these promises for generations, were really excited to see them fulfilled. Um, all the pe- it says, all the people gave a great shout of praise. But the ones who remember the old temple. The ones who remember how it used to be, they uniquely and intimately feel the pain of loss and the disillusionment of this new experience. It was supposed to bring great joy. It's what they've been waiting for. Let's go on to... Um, 11b here, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. See If we have 12 or 13 here, I might not. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. So so these are are the people who, um, Psalm 107, this is supposed to be their anthem song and they do sing it. (laughs) They do. But that's not all that's there. I've oddly found a lot of comfort (laughs) in this pairing this week of Psalm 107 and Ezra 3. Like I said, this moment at the Second Temple, it was literally supposed to be a Psalm 107 moment for God's people, and it was for some of them. And for others, they weren't quite there yet. They needed to weep. So if you don't mind, um, I wanna take you through just a few touch points of promises, a few glimmers of God's comfort and steadfast love that have met me in what feels like more of an Ezra 3 moment. We'll start with remembering how God remembers. Second, we'll look at how God gives us community and what that means for when the Psalm doesn't soothe us. And then three, we're just gonna look at God's steadfastness, what that looks like throughout all of these passages. So first, God remembers. If you were here last week or if you caught up later, you probably remember that that was a huge part of Andrew's message last week on Psalm 85. How, what, what is the importance of remembering? In so many Psalms and other passages, we are called to proclaim what God has done, to look back. And it's really modeled in the Psalms for us. So the Israelites, this group of Judeans in particular here, They were hoping for God to finally restore them and bring them back to the temple. So in this passage, in Ezra 3, and in Psalm 107, since that's like a temple worship song, we're finally here. All that they have been hoping for has supposedly come to fruition. So at the beginning of Psalm 107, going back to that, the psalmist specifically asks God's people to look back, remember all the things that God has done for them. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Past tense. What has God brought you from? And so deliverance from exile, I think we would all agree, is something definitely worth praising God for. It's reflected in Psalm 107 and in Ezra 3. But in Psalm 107 and in Ezra 3, but in Psalm 107 in particular, we also hear about the trauma and the disaster that God had rescued the people from. The first section where we see this is verses four through five. That was a part of what Kendrick read. Um, So some wandered in the desert. They were in the wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Next part, this is a part of the section, because it's a long psalm, y'all, it goes all the way to 43. We didn't read this. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. The last one I'll mention is verses 17 to 18. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. So we see the suffering endured by the people as they wandered, found nowhere to rest or to stay. We see the people suffering in consequence of their own sin, God's people seeking after other gods and other pleasures, and God's people, they believed, this led to our captivity and to a great deal of our pain. So yes, they're happy to be out Of those terrible circumstances, I'm sure. And there were many reasons to celebrate and to worship God for deliverance in this Ezra 3 moment before the second temple. But if we use Psalm 107 as a guide to see what came before, we can see that before verses 1 through 3 that encourage us to praise the Lord for all he has done and his deliverance, before we get to that point in our story as Israelites, before verses 8 through 9 that tell us to give thanks um, and that he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry. Before all of that, these people endured verses 4 through 5, 10 through 11, 17 through 18. In the extremely popular book that I'm sure many of you know of or have read, The Body Keeps the Score, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk can help us imagine how the effects of the events in those earlier verses could very easily have been a factor in the minds and in the bodies of the people in Ezra 3. <clears throat> she says, we have learned that trauma is not just an event that took place sometime in the past. It's also the imprint left by that experience on mind, brain, and body This imprint has ongoing consequences for how the human organism manages to survive in the present. Trauma results in fundamental reorganization of the way mind and brain manage perceptions. It changes not only how we think and what we think about, but also our very capacity to think. So, I don't have the qualifications that many in our congregation might have. To talk about trauma, especially not in a clinical sense, on a clinical level. But what I do think I see modeled here in Psalm 107 and informed by this doctor's work is that we, while we are called to remember, we are called to remember God's deliverance in our lives, God also remembers. God is the one who saw the people in those traumatic moments and responded to their cries for help. And I believe that when we find ourselves incapable of remembering or entering a new reality without pain, it is acceptable to mourn. It is welcome to grieve what we have lost. No matter how big or small your burden might be, little trauma, big trauma, or something happening to you right now, or how long ago it happened, it happened to you. Your life is happening to you, and God remembers, and God knows. God is right there with you. Let's keep going. The second thing that encouraged me um, was that this was not a picture of one person by themselves, whether in worship or celebration or in mourning. And I think that God gives us community for these moments, whether we're in that Psalm 107 height of our lives or we're in the last verses of that uh, Ezra 3 uh, section that we read. I believe God shows us in these passages that we are called to celebrate and to worship, and we're also called to mourn our losses in community. And not only are we called to do that, but it is a gift that's given to us. So it's believed that, you know, post-exile, this psalm was one that was sung in temple worship, of course, and that's what we see reflected in Ezra. Um, They proclaimed, you know, this beautiful statement of God's steadfast love. And so um, we've talked about already, it shows pictures of God's deliverance of the people from exile, and it is a triumphant song. It's sung by a people that has learned how to remember, and they've also learned how to mourn their losses together. In Ezra 3, we see this idea in action with the people trying to build the second temple. In fact, as I've said already, the song they built out is almost the same as it is in Psalm 107. Ezra 3.11 and Psalm 107.1 are essentially the same. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And the psalmist gives us, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And what struck me about the scene in Ezra 3 is that their unity as a people, it's not based on their identical emotions or their responses to the event that's happening in front of them. Sure, they are unified in that they are God's people and that they worship God but there is not a uniformity um, in their responses that brings them together. Verse 13 says that no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. So one professor says it a lot better than I could, so I'm going to quote her. She says, finally, their dream had come true. Finally, their hopes were realized Finally, the promises of God made in the times of Jeremiah and Isaiah were fulfilled. But along with this rejoicing sounded another cry, a mournful cry from those who had seen the first temple on its foundations. It was a weeping for the lostness that once was, a grief for the pain of what had been. She goes on to say, The story casts no judgment on those who mourn. In fact, in a moment of sheer humanity that cuts to the core of what it is to live, Scripture records the sound that the sound of the joyful shout could not be distinguished from the sound of the people's weeping. If today is really more of a joyful Psalm 107 moment for you, I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm really not. I ask that you continue to worship God exuberantly and authentically because we need that. But then, also consider your neighbor in this place. Consider the pain that might be present here under the surface or that you might already know of and ask God to meet them here. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. If today feels like an Ezra 3 moment for you, please hear this. Our weeping and our mourning is acceptable to God. You are loved, and you do not bear this weight alone. An element of worship discipleship that has really stuck with me from previous churches is when pastors and worship leaders would remind us why we were singing. Um, of course, we were singing to worship God. That's the main goal, right? Um, but we were also singing for others to hear us singing. We were singing for the person next to us. You might come in to a worship service and not be able to actually uh, embody and proclaim the words that are on the screen. Um, But sometimes, yeah, I come to church and I need to hear my neighbor singing just as much as I need to hear preaching. No matter your ability to carry a tune, this is part of what it means to be a community that bears each other's burdens. When the psalm doesn't soothe me, it might soothe you. And that can be a huge encouragement to me. Finally, I want to talk about God's steadfastness. And, you know, this seems like a pretty obvious statement. I mean, God, yes, is the most consistent thing throughout all of these passages, right? It's like a Sunday school answer. Um, This thing really is messing with me. I'm trying. I really am. Ugh. Please. Okay. Well, God's steadfastness really is the most consistent thing in these passages. God's steadfast love is reflected throughout Psalm 107 and is God's constant posture toward his people. We see repeated again and again, and of course, like I said before, we didn't read the whole Psalm. But this verse, let's see. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's his steadfast love, Hesed in Hebrew Verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. That exact verse is repeated again and again after each of the images and scenarios of people suffering, calling out to God, and being rescued by God. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. That is the same thing that he does for each group of people It doesn't matter if it's the group of people at the beginning who are suffering and looking just for a place to stay. It doesn't matter if it's when his people in some of the other sections are rebelling against his commands, walking away, getting themselves into a prison of sorts, whether an actual prison, which is probably the captivity, um, or just a prison of sin. God responds the exact same way when each group of people calls out for rescue. So this is the same steadfast love that the Judeans sing about in Ezra 3. And this love, this, like I said, the Hebrew word that you may have heard before, hesed, is not based on the faithfulness or the steadiness of the Israelites. It is based on the consistency, the power, and the covenant keeping of the God who embodies it. So how does this speak to us in these moments where we can't seem to praise this God and thank God for this love. I think in these times, first of all, there's no answer. This is often where community comes in, and it's really important if you have a friend who's in an Ezra 3 moment to be a listener first and foremost and to not try to problem solve or to um, speak trite things into their pain. But I do think that in these times, when a person is ready for it, we can remind them and we can remind ourselves of God's posture toward us. That no matter what we've done, no matter the lack of praise that reaches our lips, our God is actively loving us with a covenantal love that was for his chosen people and is now offered to us in Christ Jesus. I saw some scholars... um, who read Ezra 3 a little bit differently. Um, They, you know, looked at this story of God's people gathering, and it's supposed to be the celebratory moment, you know, everybody's cheering, and then these elders start weeping. And so I saw some scholars who say, um, you know, this is not the ideal response. Um, These people, you know, um, they shouldn't be responding this way and, you know, God has patience for them, of course, but, like, they should be, ultimately, it's, it's for praising and for celebrating. Um, and, yeah, so I just saw some different versions of that, and I was like, okay, like, you have a way higher pedigree than me, but, like, mm, I still don't really agree. Um, and, and a lot of them actually referenced, so the prophet Haggai speaks to this situation from a different angle. And a lot of them referenced what Haggai says, what God says through this prophet, as like a rebuke toward, toward this morning. Um, and so I'm just going to read it and, you know, see, see what we think about it. Let's see what we think. So um, in starting in verse 3 of Haggai 2, God says through the prophet, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, the leader of this group of Judeans, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This offers us another angle uh, for the emotions that some of the elders in Ezra 3 were having. And this is just me. But although the Lord, through Haggai, tells the leaders and the people to be strong and to work, I don't see a condemnation of grief. What I do see is God's continual, steadfast love and covenant with God's people. And this is what I believe will be a part of what sees us through these times of disillusionment and fear. So, when the psalm doesn't soothe, what do you do? Sometimes you can't do anything. Sometimes you need someone to speak these things to you. What you can remember and hold on to is that when you can't pray, the Holy Spirit prays for you. And others, will, that is what we are called to do, is to pray for each other. And no matter the messiness of your life, where you have been and what, how you have gotten to this point, God is still reaching out to you and pursuing you with his covenantal steadfast love that will not change. The triune God, the triune God, is inviting you into that, in that, into that community with the Trinity and into this community of people who have also given themselves to be swept up by this steadfast love. And, you know, I don't think... I, I know that the people in Ezra and um, the it, Israelites, they, they had a hope for a Messiah. You know, they, they knew the prophecies and they... Um, prayed for when that day would come. And we do have that hope. We do hold on to it, and and we know where that comes from. But it doesn't mean that we don't still feel the loss, and we don't still feel the aching and the waiting for what we expect and what we know to be true. So I just pray, I ask God to meet you in this moment, and um, that you might remember that God remembers that God has not left you alone, and that God is constantly loving you and bringing you to a place of rejoicing again. Amen.